Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is Ryan, one of your hosts, and today we have episode 105 with Chris, Liz, Brian, and John. They discuss what has happened so far this season and give a little insight about how things should or may look for the Jets moving forward. Lots to unpack in this episode, so we hope you enjoy. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here. I'm joined by Chris, John, and Brian today. So um, we are recording one day out of a 6-5 win over the Edmonton Oilers last night. Um, lots to unpack in that game alone, but there's also a lot to talk about right now with just kind of some of the decisions going on, some of the injuries that we're seeing, some of the injuries that might soon be healed and back in the lineup. Um, and then also some of our um, press box taxi squad guys going back down to the moose. So um, yeah, lots to unpack today. So maybe we'll start with talking about last night's game just because it's still fresh in our minds. I will throw it to Brian first to sort of talk about that. And then we're just going to kind of see where things go from there. Yeah. What a chaotic game, right? Um, I guess you got the finishing that uh, we've grown accustomed to from the jets. Um, Lots of chances given up, uh, I guess, kind of on both sides, but you know, a little more in the jets end than you'd like, but yeah, there were some good things from that game. Uh, I think you saw Kyle Connor driving a little more offense in that game, which is nice to see uh, him and Ehlers kind of, I think developing possibly a little bit of chemistry that they might be able to run with um, daddy Stasty in the middle there kind of seemed like a pretty good fit. So we'll see where maybe that goes in the next one with the Oilers. I, I think the biggest positive to take from that is kind of the, Connor Ehlers duo there yeah I agree I um had lots of interesting things that I found in that game and that was one too I remember I I actually messaged a bunch of my friends it was like hold on like don't want to jinx it here but is Kyle Connor actually doing a little bit of play driving here like anytime I would sort of make my dream lines I would never kind of put him in that role I always had to put him with somebody in my mind that was more of a play driver because I didn't think that it was really his thing he's a finisher blah, blah blah whatever but yeah there was some good there and good line I found um there and Mason Appleton looked good as always and then but when you have that line with Connor and Stassi and Ehlers inevitably you had Wheeler and Shikley back together so Chris I don't know if you want to talk about that at all um I <laughs> You know, me, I, I try not to judge things on one game or, you know, uh, armchair yeah. quarterback things or uh, armchair GM. But, um, yeah, it seems to still be a struggle for them. Um, Shifley's had flashes, and I think he's playing a little a little better maybe even than we're giving him credit for. Um, the points are there, and he's, he seems to be playing a little better. Um, Wheeler is just he's still struggling. That being said, that power play looked good. Um, Wheeler looked good on the power play again. Um, so there's still some of that stuff going on, which, which brings us back to what we've talked about before about maybe dropping him down to the third line and, um, you know, being a power play specialist. And, and that's where it was, you know, a couple of games ago, things have changed with the Dubois injury. Um, but I mean, you're still relying on those guys more than you should be, I think. And, um, you know, 
again, if <laughs> it's great, if you have a really well-paying job, but if, if you're spending more money than you're earning, um, you're not, you're not coming out ahead. And I think that's what you're still see, seeing with Shifley and Wheeler. They, they're still not giving you more than, than they're, than they're getting. And it's, it's frustrating. And, um, the, the Dubois situation is interesting because we are all really happy with those lines, right? And they lasted for a game and, and all that. So you wonder if that's going to go back to that. Um, if the Nate Thompson returning from injury, what that's going to do, like it, it, it's hard to believe with the forwards we have that he's going to play. <laughs> but like we've been saying on the podcast now for, you know, um, a couple of months, you have to go in the mind frame of Maurice not in reality. Um, I think we see a lot on Twitter still. Why is he doing this? How come he's doing this? If I were him, I wouldn't do this. He's proven to us for seven years, whatever it is that Nate Thompson is going to play. So we know that. So I don't know why we think things are going to change again. Had they had the five, six games or whatever it's going to be with Dubois, no injury. Maybe, maybe that changes it, but. Anyway, that's that's a long way of saying that I still think we need more from those guys, and um, and I think a part is the best way to get it from them. So we'll see where where that goes in the next uh, next few games. I guess Dubois on the trip, so we should be seeing him back. So, what would you guys think about uh, replacing Wheeler with Dubois on the top line and possibly sliding Wheeler down into the bottom bottom six, I guess, third or fourth line, whatever. It won't be the fourth line. Maurice won't do that, but I think that would help Wheeler get back up to speed. You know, I think he's still a very smart player, um, but that speed's obviously going away. So, yeah, I think that uh, like you know, if you lessen Wheeler's quality of competition, I think you could really see him maybe be a bit more of a productive player at even strength. We talked about how he's still obviously producing on the power play. I don't think that'll ever go away. He's got that elite vision. He's got great instincts. I don't think that'll disappear on the power play, but we could see him become a, a very productive player. I think if we see him in a, in a lesser role. So I'm all for uh, bumping Wheeler down personally. Yeah. That's kind of been a, a point that we brought up a couple of times too, is that, yeah, like they like someone like Blake Wheeler is still totally capable of, you know, having net benefits as a player and whatever, but when he's still in a role where he is required to be the Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron of the team where he's required to be the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl of the team. It just doesn't work, right? So if you knock down his usage a little bit, third line, power play specialist kind of thing, it seems to make sense. Probably won't happen kind of thing. But I agree with um, Brian's point. I never even considered putting him and Shifley on the same line because just immediately to me, that was the one to see right there. The order was up for debate in my mind, but after seeing um, Connor... Stastny and Ehlers playing together like that and knowing that um, Shifley and Cobb do play well together and Dubois will only make that line better, I'm, I'm all for it. And what that does too is exactly what we talk about. Now that's getting into the mind of Maurice, right? That's doing a, a top six, bottom six, and that's more realistic way of, of trying to figure out what we're going to see is – I messaged somebody in the, that, that follows the Jets and I said, what's with this? As soon as I heard Stastny and Dubois going in and out, you know, on the second line sort of thing, or maybe being on that line together, I was like, what's, I don't understand. And their response was, we know that Maurice doesn't believe in a top, top nine 
situation. So there's no surprise that even it was just talk of, of Stastny and Dubois being on the same line, that that was there. And same goes for that. And again, that's a more realistic way of looking at things is to think, well, maybe they do try and load up the top six. And then they get to put Lowry, Kopp, and Perot back together too. They could maybe oh, do it that way and put, put Wheeler back up there. Right. And then another thing that I've been kind of curious about is that, you know, um, Dubois comes back and it's likely that Vesa comes out because that's just the way that it is, even though he's been pretty good given his limited usage. But then Nate Thompson comes back and obviously looking at our 12 right now, especially if we play 11, he shouldn't be on there like whatever. But who comes up for him? Is it Harkins that comes out immediately? Like what? Because you have 12 guys right now who are good, who are playing well, right? So it's none of them I would even dare take out for Nate Thompson. But um, I know, Brian, I'll throw it back to you maybe if you want to talk about what, what that's kind of going to look like when we see both of those well, guys come back from injury. Uh, if you're holding a gun to my head and making me put Nate Thompson in the lineup, I guess i probably going to say I might. Uh, it's tough. I probably take out Harkins right now. I like his, I like his tools. Um, I think he might be better suited for the wing. And right now I just really like what I'm seeing out of Christian Veselainen. I really want to see more of that. Um, so that might be what I do. Um, yeah, I like Harkins skill, but I just don't think he's quite putting it together as of right now and to be honest with you i do kind of like trevor lewis a little bit out there so um again i'm if i'm the coach i'm not taking out jansen harkins for nate thompson but if that's the way it's got to be then that's the way it's got to be I definitely agree with keeping Veselainen in. I mean, he's looked really poised. I've been like thoroughly impressed with his game so far. You know, he never really panics when he's pressured by opposing players. I think his his frame sort of give him gives him a lot of confidence, and he knows he knows how to use it. And it really, uh, you know, he knows it's hard for smaller players to strip him of the puck, so he's not afraid to sort of like you know engage with them physically. And he's like I said, he's very calm, very poised whenever a puck battle ensues, and that's particularly impressive because this is like a, a young skater fighting to save a spot in the NHL, which as we know is a pretty tough thing to do. Uh, pretty much every coach in the league just trusts veterans more and fringe prospects have, they really have to be like five times better to have a shot at sticking around. And I can only imagine how stressful it is knowing you're under a microscope with the few opportunities you get. But I mean, he makes the most of them. He had a really good uh, scoring chance a couple games ago and then the beautiful assist to Shifley against Ottawa. Uh, Maybe a bit of a gaff by Ottawa that left Shifley wide open. It was kind of served up on a silver platter, but I mean, you still can't fault Veselainen for recognizing that and putting the puck where it needed to be, especially at uh, especially at this stage of his career, right, where he's likely going to be facing bottom lines and bottom pairings more often than not, and weaker players will leave a lot to be exploited, and that's something he's proving that he's more than capable of doing so with more playing time, with more experience. I hope he can actually grow into that sort of top six type player that he was slated to be when he was drafted, because that's definitely looking like something that I think is it's in his range of outcomes right now. It makes you wish and wonder um, we talk, or I mentioned like, you know, a top nine situation, but we've been talking for years about wanting, even when we had shitty fourth lines, um, 
for fourth lines to get more playing time. Right. And it, 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 it gets frustrating because a lot of players thrive um, with less ice time as far as elite players or higher end players. Um, because again, like the Wheeler example, you have more energy, you're playing more matched up, you're playing against a better situation. Um, but it's really tough to judge how good a vessel line is or is going to be with five minutes or six minutes a night. And, and every indication is, is that he's, he's doing everything right. That's, I mean, that's what you're seeing. And I would just like to see more spread out minutes um, to give some of these guys a chance and to actually see what they're, what they're working with. And, and it, should with the amount of talent we have on the forwards work out just the same if not better to to spread out the minutes uh, a little bit more yeah for sure and like again I feel like I've heard this quote a thousand times and I've said it probably a thousand and one times but it's like why play someone who's bad or who you know is bad when you could play someone who might be bad kind of thing and that's kind of been the the ongoing thing with the bottom line and right now you have Trevor Lewis, who is like um, we'd said, he's he's one of those fringe guys who got signed um, on a uh, PTO or whatever, and he's good. Like he's actually been really good in his role. And there you have that veteran presence down there, and you have Matthew Pro, and you even have Adam Lowry, who's what twenty seven years old. Like that's he's not a baby anymore, kind of thing. Like you don't need a Nate Thompson on that bottom line if you're looking for veteran leadership. You have that, like. Wheeler and Shifley have been here for years and like there's enough of that and I just don't see why it's always the most important thing oh but what's his experience like like what's he like in the room like how when does it get to be a certain point where it's like enough is enough play guys who are talented kind of thing you know leave him in the room exactly yeah um I think I'm sorry I've said it before but I think about like in football terms like would you just put in your your lousy left tackle because he's good in the room and open up your quarterback to getting a blindside hit and ending his career <laughs> because he's a good dude made a good like, joke in the huddle <laughs> like, you know like it's I really have to, go to dry there hey eh, bud like <laughs> but you know <laughs> he's good in the huddle right and oh, it, you know and so that's that it just it's nonsense to me um, I understand, and we've talked about it before, but I understand the need for your players and your and teams to get along. And having a solid dressing room is important. But you can have a, a good dressing room with good players. It doesn't have to oh, yeah. be also with lousy players. And this is the this is the struggling part for for us. Like, first of all, you cried to have Matt Hendricks come back to save you because apparently things were so bad. You needed this guy. Um, that still wears like the hockey skates that don't have a back because he's so old. Like, the, <laughs> and, and <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, you could find a good dude that plays fourth line and is a good leader and is a good player. And the same goes for this, this, uh, this situation here with Nate Thompson. Like there's not a graph, a chart, anything that says he's worth playing. And again, like you're saying, Liz, you're so bang on. They have enough leadership or should. Apparently you've shipped out all the assholes, <laughs> right? Apparently, Apparently they're all gone now. Yeah. <laughs> so what well, I also problem? don't get like, like you could also just keep this player. If he's so good in the room, you could just keep him in the room, right? He doesn't have to play or maybe you play him on like a back to back or something if the team's gassed, but 
I don't see the need to, to keep a guy around in the lineup. You can keep him around the team, but he doesn't have to be playing and actively hurting the team. Right? I've never really understood that part of it. Right. Yeah. And back in the, back in the day, that's what they used to do. Right. They were part of the three guys in the press box. Soon the good in the room's going to be always good on the bench. It's got to be good on the bench. Well, and then, yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, and sometimes like we as fans sometimes tend to be kind of stubborn with some of our ways of thinking, but like, I'll be the first to admit that I was wrong about Logan Stanley. Like I thought he was awful and he was just like, kind of bad. (laughs) But like (laughs) he, you have, again, I get it that he's easier to move back and forth because he's, you know, um, because of his contract, but like, why why is he coming out of the lineup over Nathan Bolio? And again, like I get it with the he's been playing more sheltered minutes. Nathan Bolio has been playing against the best for 24 minutes a night kind of thing, but it's just it, it but it was the play to make there. Everyone knew that that's what was going to happen because we don't play the young guys and it's the Nathan Bolio conversation. I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole right now because that's just been the most annoying storyline probably of the last 4 or 5 games. Well, how do you sort of interrupt guys? How do you have a Veselainen who is clearly playing good hockey, clearly needing to have some more time, some more hockey, and then you've got statistically the worst defenseman on the team playing the most minutes. He should be the one playing four minutes a game. If you need him so bad, fine. But why is he playing the most? Because he's gritty. He's gritty. He's got grit. Right. But these are the things that, it's not like just a troll Twitter troll thing. Every single person can see that he's the worst player on the team. And the coach is playing him the most minutes. Where's the disconnect? Where, how is that even possible? This isn't house league. Like when you're 12 and the coach's son is playing the most minutes, it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason and, and so you, so when people go, how can you question an NHL coach, this and that, that's all you need for an example. How is that guy playing more than six minutes a game? Because C-Mac, I run the room. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I can, can make that, you cry. Is that even Bullio's thing? Is he a room guy? Like, I've never no. heard that as an excuse I, too, but like, I don't really see him as, like, your typical tough guy either. He fights, like, what, once every ten games or something? Like... Yeah, I don't quite get. I think Maurice likes him because, for some reason, he thinks he can trust him on the penalty kill. Which I'm not sure what his in-house analytics are telling him, but he does not have good PK results. Uh, you know, I really think Bolu just needs like a night off or something because I mean, I, I hate trying to get into like the mind of a player because who am I to know what's going on? But to me, he just looks overworked. I mean, he was playing upwards of 20 minutes a night some nights uh, on the PK on the top pair some nights. And he's struggled in every facet of every situation he's played in. And now he's on the third pair and he's even looking bad there. And I mean, I don't ever remember being this frustrated with Nathan Beaulieu. I always kind of viewed him as this sort of number six, number seven type D who you could rely on to, you know, maybe be like a non-issue, nothing special, but nothing atrocious. But I mean, unfortunately he's been exactly that. He's been a complete and utter mess all year. So like I said, I know Maurice loves him for his toughness or whatever, and he's here to stay, you know, he's never going to you know totally leave, but, I mean, maybe at the very least, like just give him a night off or two nights off and, you know, let him recalibrate because he's, he's costing this team games right now. I can't remember what game it was, but uh, someone had shown me, um, I think it was just the 
uh, on ice expected goals chart. His partner was Dylan DeMello for the game, and Beaulieu was like near the bottom of the team for expected goal differential, and DeMello was near the top in the same game where they were on the same pairing. I don't know how that's even possible. I mean, I guess you could have a small event where, you know, you had a high expected goals event, but, you know, that's, it's just kind of funny. It was so funny. I was talking to my friends and this is kind of back to the forwards thing, but it, it sticks with the Nathan Bolio with it. He's like, we're talking about um, who to, um, who is going to come out when Thompson is back kind of thing. And then we were talking about Harkins and Vesla. It's like, number one, are you a veteran? No. Number two, do you play penalty kill? No. All right. You're out kind of thing. Cause these guys who see like the penalty kill guys, like they seem like they're just the untouchables of the team. Like it just, makes no sense but all of the defensemen have been struggling it feels like so like I guess Nathan Bolio it's almost unfair um to be so harsh on him just because I don't think he deserves to be in the role that he's in poor guy like I he probably walked into the season he's like oh yeah I'll play third pairing you know 10 minutes a night maybe 12 some games and now here he is and it's like oh god but I agree uh, with you John that he just give him a night off or something because like it's clearly not working like (laughs) and I agree to kind of you know just maybe ease off of him. I mean, he kind of has been like, you know, the scapegoat, but like you said, it, it doesn't just stop with him. I mean, the defense as a whole has been very frustrating to watch. I mean, they're, they're all overly dependent on these long stretch passes to exit the zone. They don't utilize, in my opinion, nearly enough sort of, you know, quick and clean short passes. And they, they don't have a particularly group, uh, a particularly good group of, of good puck movers either. So I think while a lot of this can be chalked up to just a lack of talent on the blue line, it gets even more frustrating because this organization has guys like Sandberg and Hainola uh, just waiting in the wings and they project to sort of fill that missing void. I think they could help this team a lot. I mean, there was that play last night. I think we probably all saw it. I think Jacob Stoller posted it uh, from the Moose game where Hainola, you know, jumps the gap, stops the cycle, and then he carries it up the ice and he just puck handles his way through the neutral zone and towards the net, like nobody on this Jets blue line could even dream of doing. So whether it's playing overseas or at the World Juniors, I mean, he's done this at every level. So I truly believe that this kid is going to be special if he's given the opportunity to sort of play his style of game in the NHL. And I don't just mean like a good defenseman. I mean like a special defenseman, a true top pairing guy that this team needs badly. Now, I'm a tad skeptical just because we know Maurice's system doesn't really encourage his sort of style of play defensemen will typically have to adapt to the more simplified roles that he carves out for them with the exception of like maybe Dustin Bufflin who you know not many guys other than Bufflin did these types of things with the puck but maybe a guy with Hainola uh, a guy with his pedigree will warrant a change of pace I mean we've heard about how Maurice was gushing over him in camp and all of that and I have to imagine it's what he does in transition that, imp- that impressed Maurice to that degree but at the same time I wouldn't put it past Maurice to kind of coach that out of him but I mean, hopefully he's allowed to be a puck carrier when he makes the jump to the NHL. And hopefully that's sooner rather than later, because I don't think this current iteration of the Jets blue line is equipped to fend off some of the, the tougher opponents that they have coming up in the, uh, the next coming weeks. John, I was it's say so that... crazy to me that everything you just said made perfect sense. But from an outside perspective, if someone who wasn't like a Jets fan or a hockey fan who didn't really, they're like, wait, so you're saying that the you're you're doubting a player's ability to succeed on a team because of the coach's system like that shouldn't even make sense but somehow it does with this team that we're like oh 
it might not work because the coach might not allow him to do the right thing. Like it's always been, I've always found it's like the ring at player in me. That's like, why do they do these long passes? Like, why don't they move at the puck and make the short passes and kind of like, it just always has seemed weird to me, but different sport kind of thing. But it's the fact that he's able to do that. And we're worried that he won't see the ice and do that kind of thing because of the coaching style is insane. Like that's bonkers to me. I think the Jets, sorry, go ahead. Oh no. Okay. Well, I was just going to add that. I think that like Sammy Niku definitely has a case to like, I still, I, I don't want to totally blame Maurice for Sammy Niku failing in the NHL because I do think that Niku just maybe regardless of coach isn't an NHL defense, but I don't think there's enough concrete evidence to say that Paul Maurice ruined Sammy Niku, but I can still confidently say that he didn't do him any favors either because that sort of puck moving, you know, carry the puck out of the zone style of play that Sammy, you know, that was sort of his bread and butter. That's not really a thing that exists in Paul Maurice's system. So like I said, I don't want to blame Maurice a hundred percent for Niku, but he, he definitely didn't do him any favors at the same time. Yeah. I was going to say there's, I think, I don't think there's a single jets defenseman this year. That's above average in terms of carry out attempts uh, per minute on the ice this year. So like, I don't know that that's, a total system thing like that's got to be a part of it but like the jets are certainly lacking in that area and that's something that Hanela specifically will have a a huge impact on and i think sandberg will too he's an excellent puck mover um if you've ever seen much of him play um great defensively great puck mover two things that the jets uh absolutely need so I tweeted about this um, last week and it's something obviously that we've thought about a lot, but I, I kind of found the wording or the, the thought process for it was the, the way that their defensive system works, it doesn't lend to breakouts, passes, short ones or skating out because everybody's out of position. And so I have a frustration watching this team in general because they can't pass like and that's such an important thing. You have to be able to make passes. And, and I don't feel like they can at any part of the ice, but especially when they're trying to leave their zone. And my theory is because these guys switch positions so much, if the jets actually come up with a puck, they have nowhere to pass. They're passing on their backhand. They're passing to somebody on their backhand. They're passing. Sometimes a forward is low passing up to a defenseman because the defenseman is up by the blue line for some reason. So you're finding that the people that it should be making these passes aren't making them and there's no good passes to make. And that to me is why, again, we can argue all day about Sammy Nuku's ability in the defensive zone, but you're not playing to any strength of his if he can't pass to somebody. And there's that article that guy, um, I'm not sure his name shared a couple of weeks ago that sort of mentioned that and his sort of the, the, the statement that, um, stuck out to me at the in the article was how do you duplicate this so when teams score they generally score the same way right or they have a setup or they have set plays or whatever the jets are always doing things randomly so there's no surprise that they don't have any consistency in their game it seems like the only way they score is on odd man rushes that's changed a little bit more this year where you see a little bit more and play in the offensive zone but I, that just that statement stuck with me so much that 
you can't duplicate it. And you can't, because you don't have the same two guys retrieving the puck in the corner or behind the net and then making outlet passes to the same six guys. That's why the game gets so frustrating to watch because they're out of position and you don't have a Hainala making that breakout pass or a Bufflin making that breakout pass. Bufflin was the best player, in my opinion, in the NHL at a breakout pass. Step out from behind the net, one pass, on the tape, let's go. How often do you see a pass on the tape in full stride from a, from from in the jet zone out of it? Never. You never see it. Yeah. And to me, it's the system that's going to cost maybe may or may not have cost Niku his his chance, but that it like John was saying may or may not cause Hainola to be successful. Because it doesn't matter how good you are at making breakout passes if there's nobody to pass to. It doesn't matter how good you are at carrying a puck if you're the first one up the ice and you're a defenseman. You know what I mean? So I'm really concerned about that. And this goes back now 10 years is how we have still have the same defensive coach and the same system as the 1986 Oilers. Every time or anytime you told that story, I just want to go curl up in a corner and oh my gosh like the fact that you're watching a game and you're like whoa when charlie huddy was a player they're playing the exact same defensive there's system. no difference like, what is <laughs> um, and, and you know what man. i mean yeah and it's again and so that that's the concern for me is that there's no system there's a system as we know i'm not going to argue and sit here and say there's no system paul maurice isn't running a system but the system isn't conducive to to repeating it and that's why they're so frustrating to watch. And Tony and I had a conversation quickly on Twitter the other day about being fun to watch. And I've been watching Columbus. They can pass the puck. They might not get a ton of high, high chance shots, but they move the puck up from their own end. They get out of their zone quick and they get in the offensive zone and make plays. Again, they're not having high danger shots. Fine. But that's a lot more fun to watch than the puck bouncing around the boards for 40 minutes a game like it is with the Jets. There's yeah. just nothing there. I'm like the biggest Seth Jones critique out there. I've watched a lot of Blue Jackets over the year. But he can he can do that that zone exit, whatever pass. And they have a lot of – like Gavrikov is good at that. Warrenski's good at that. And then their forwards pass the puck too. The Jets only seem to pass the puck when they're on two-on-ones and they should be shooting. Like it's ridiculous. Like it's just a weird – yeah, no, I – so yeah, we'll jump into sort of talking a little bit more about the in-game stuff from yesterday. I mean, I personally, the story to take away from that game was Neil freaking Pionk for me. Every time he was on the ice, I was like, yes, I love this guy. Like, it was just great. Obviously, there was the, the weird penalty that sucked, whatever. But I thought he did a great job of managing McDavid's speed, um, breaking into the zone and whatnot, um, pushing him out with the body, not letting him get a shot off or even a pass a lot of the time, which is great. Um, which is really encouraging for me personally, just because... I know it's been tough to feel encouraged by some of the things that defensemen have done this year, but um, yeah, I was really pumped about Pionk, um, you know, helping, you know, um, shut down McDavid as a threat like he did. And that's, he's done that in other games before. Like it's not, this wasn't the first time it ever happened. He wasn't perfect, obviously, but I'm excited for next game because of that. But uh, John, I don't know if there's other stuff you want to talk about, about the defense, because I know there, there were some other things definitely maybe that weren't as positive to take away from that game. Yeah, well, it was pretty concerning, but not all that surprising to see Edmonton's depth forwards have such a productive game. Like, they're very notorious for being a top-heavy team, yet a, a fourth liner like Chase Son was able to pop two goals last, last night. And I think both were very easily avoidable. 
there's the the one where DeMello kind of gets caught out in La La Land off a bank pass and leaves Hellebuck out to dry. And the the second one where Chase on skates to the front of the net and Beaulieu just sits like a pile on and just screens Hellebuck. He just he just gives just gives Chase on position right in front of the net and just serves up an easy goal against them. You know, part of the Jets formula is sort of relying on Hellebuck to clean all of this up, right? And even though he's still having a really, really solid season, I think he is starting to show that he is a human being and that if you give up enough of these chances, there's only so many you can expect him to stop. So that's something I think they'll definitely want to clean up moving forward, especially with some of these deeper opponents that they have coming up. I think they're pretty fortunate, in my opinion, to be... I think they're third in the division right now and somehow still second last and even strength expected goals for percentage last I checked. So if they, if they want to hold on to this playoff spot, they might want to rethink their sort of maybe defensive deployment a little bit with these upcoming series against maybe not Vancouver so much, but definitely with Toronto and Montreal, because they're already showing some glaring weaknesses. And I, I sort of feel that the, our fear that the worst is yet to come. Well, and the fact that, um, yeah, like you said, with Jason um, scoring two goals, like Montreal and Toronto, are two of the best 12 forward deep teams in the league. Like their fourth lines are nothing to be messed with. And whereas with Toronto or with um, Edmonton, sorry, they might be one of, if not the worst in the division with their, you, you'd think so at least with their fourth line. So if we're not able to, you know, kind of, you know, at least try and cut off each um, line. I don't even know where I'm trying to go with this, but the fact that, yeah, with this crappy team, like you were saying, and now we have to play good teams that have, you know, really deep um, offensive course. So. Like, if you can't stop Edmonton's fourth line, what are you going to do when you run into a team that has two teams that have good bottom sixes, definitely? There you go. That's what I could have said in six words or less. <laughs> and little known fact, uh, Boyu is actually French for pylon. So that kind of all makes I'm French. Sense. I, I spoke for, I speak French. I went to school in French. I can confirm that that's true. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. The one, Little known uh, fact. The one big positive from the Jets decor, though, uh, like you were saying, Neil Pionk, when we traded for him, I didn't think for a second there was ever going to be a time I was talking about him as actually a shutdown defenseman. Like, like is this real? Like, I don't know if any of you guys watched uh, watched his time with the Rangers, but he couldn't break up a rush when he was playing with the Rangers. I don't know where, I don't know where all this came from all of a sudden, but he's playing well. And I was one of his biggest critics uh, last year and in the off season, but I really like what I'm seeing so far. Didn't he have like the year before he came to Winnipeg, it was like the worst breakup percentage in the entire NHL among defensemen. He had like one or something on like hundreds of attempts. Um, I mean, Maurice does have a bad system, but I mean, the the one that they're running there in New York isn't too great either. So I think maybe he got saved. I think that was on manually tracked data, not from the whole season, but you get the point. It wasn't very good. Yeah. I mean, it was something like absurdly bad. Yeah. Which would explain why they jets went after him. (laughs) (laughs) I um I always think back to um and like yeah like you said I was never really expecting him to be a shutdown defenseman um but like I'm also still not the hugest PR fan because he still can't pass the puck to lining on the 
power play. I know that's not actually an issue anymore, but he's not a, he's not a power play quarterback. But I still think back to um, the episode that I did with Murat months ago, and where he said that it was something ridiculous, like um, the amount of power play points. I don't want to mess up the stat, but it's basically like per amount of time played. I think it's power play points. He was like fourth in the league behind like McDavid and Drysaitel and somebody else or something like that. It was absurd. It was like he. Fionk is just the weirdest stats guy, I find. Like, obviously, you have to contextualize every stat you use, but he, he just seems to have a lot of weird ones. Some really good and some really bad. <laughs> a lot of secondary assists, I think, on the power play. Like, he, I'll give him credit. He is good at getting that shot through when he does decide to let it go, but I think he decides to let it go about, you know, 100 times too many uh, a season. Oh, last season, anyway. Uh, when he had... Um, when you had both Line A and Shifley as shooters on the power play there, I, I just, you know, I, I got kind of sad watching him try to, or watching Pionk try to shoot the puck all the time. Um, and then when he did throw the pass over to Line A, it's all slow. And then the goalie's already set. And, you know, a few times Line A was still able to wire it by him, but, you know, uh, I think I've said on every episode I've been on since uh, since the trade, really going to miss that guy. <laughs> Do you guys think that um, not having line eight is going to help the power play? No. Um, no. I, okay. <laughs> okay, you mean without a quarterback or? Like. Oh, two. Sorry, uh, I just got a phone call there. Um um, it seems like they have two different plays now, or maybe more, and they're not force feeding a guy, especially force feeding the guy using somebody that can't do it. Right. Like when it was Bufflin, it made sense. you got a hard shot. You can make that pass. He can make the pass faster and he's intimidating. Right. But when it's Pionk or Morrissey or whatever, it, it just wasn't working. Now, obviously you want, don't get me wrong. You, you want the guy but again, put yourself in the mind of Maurice, put yourself in mind of what they actually do because they couldn't figure out how to get line A the puck. Are they doing a better job or potentially going to end up with better results because they have a new system that doesn't involve doing something that they weren't good at doing? Again, that doesn't mean would you rather have line A or not? We all would oh, rather have him. Right. No, but, but I, saying, I do see the context of the question. It does make a lot yeah. of sense. Again, it's sort of like the Hanola thing. I any team would rather have him, but would the Jets rather rather have him? I don't think so. I think they'd rather have um, Eric Goodbranson, right? <laughs> oh dear, you know what I'm saying? Because no, that's yeah, what they uh -huh. like. If you put yourself in the yeah. mind of the coach, and it because it's not the way we think, right? I guess yeah, the way you put it, like. I think were they last year for power play percentage, they were pretty close to top 10, if not top 10. Um, even with the, the lack of, I guess, a bunch of power play goals from line a, but um, I guess there's a way this year that you could have run the same system as they're doing now with line a and almost, kind of run line a where Shifley is now. And then the only difference is you have a more dangerous shooter there. 
Um, but so, I mean, were the Jets ever going to do that with Line A? I don't know. But when they did have a good point guy back there, like Bufflin, they were, you know, consistently in, I think, the top five for power play percentage. So I, I don't know if I say they're in a position to do better than that with the setup they have now. But who knows? Maybe maybe they get there, and maybe I'm wrong. It'll be interesting to see what happens when um, Dubois slots in there, too, because I, I, I can only assume he'll end up on the first power play unit above Nick Ehlers, because why wouldn't he? Um, and I think <laughs> there's some that he could play. Like I'd almost compare him to Wheeler in the sense that I think he can be a really good passer, but he also has a shot that he can let rip, too. So I, I don't know. I'd be curious to see um, what that's going to look like. But I think there are more options dare i say now um without lining just because when he was on the power play you knew what the play was going to be to get him the puck to shoot it works better than probably anything else but at least now you have different guys who will maybe play in different spots like shifley used to be in the slot there now he's on the side and he can score there too so who knows another really good thing about dubois is if if you're to put him on the first power play he's also uh, really good at the zone entry. So that's something that obviously the top power play has always needed help with. Uh, we've all been screaming for Ehlers to kind of get a shot there, but I think Dubois won't be, isn't that elite at the zone entry, but he's up there as well. So it'd be a big help. Well, every time we enter the zone on power play one, it's Kyle Connor who carries the puck in every single time. And I just, there has to be a better option than that. No Kyle Connor hate, even though I do sometimes like, but Ehlers would do a better job of that. Cause he just seems to get, you know, interfered with sometimes, but who knows? For sure. <laughs> um, what about, um, what about Josh Morrissey? That's uh, is that an elephant in the room or is it super obvious, John? What do you like? I I'll be honest, the last handful of games I haven't watched super intensely, and I know this has been well almost a season and where we're at now, twelve or eighteen games or something. Before John, um, is he really falling off that bad? Is he like, and if so, what's what's going on, like? Well, I think just to piggyback to why Hainola would be a really, really good option for this team is because we all know that what made Josh Morrissey and Jacob Truba such a good pairing was what they did. They had, they both had roles carved out for each other where Morrissey would defend the rush and Truba would sort of be the guy that would carry the puck over the defensive zone and sort of start the, the offensive breakout. And he hasn't really been paired with the guy since Jacob Truba and since Dustin Bufflin before that, that can really kind of carry that load for him. So I think Josh Morrissey can sort of, he is definitely struggling right now. I do think he can be fixed if they maybe call a guy up like Hainola at some point in the season. I know they, they might not want to have him on the right side, but that could be a pairing that could potentially sort of fix Morrissey and get him back to that maybe sort of 2018 era, era Morrissey where we saw him look like a legitimate, maybe not like bonafide top pairing defenseman, but at least a respectable top four guy. Cause he was definitely that at one point in his career. 
Right. And like, I think every single person that I've spoken to or read something from said that Morrissey played his best game of the season when he was playing with Hanola, because you're right. There's the, the whole situation that would only improve if they got more time to play together, where you have the roles carved out for one another and you have the chemistry and the, I do this, you do that kind of thing and break. I was uh, talking to my friends in my um, <laughs> last game. I said, if you have a letter on the front of your jersey or your name is Nathan Bolio, get off the ice. And that was kind of just because I was getting real frustrated with, uh, you know, you have your, when you still have your Shikley and Wheeler defending a six on five against, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl and Tyson Berry as a power play quarterback, it's like, what is going on, guys? Like, it was just very frustrating. But Morrissey has been one of the, I, I, I don't want to say he's gotten less heat because he's gotten a ton of heat, but people have been so focused on Wheeler just because it's been a long time coming kind of thing. And people are finally starting to get real fed up with him, but people are also getting real fed up with Josh Morrissey. And I've seen lots of people say trade him now before his value absolutely plummets. Cause lots of people think that he's kind of a lost cause now. I don't know if anyone wants to jump on that. Cause I don't know if that's how you guys feel, or if you think that there's still something to be salvaged there and he could return to his full form as he was in 2018. Maybe not a lost cause, but certainly I think, I think he's shown in the last little while because he can't, carry a defense pairing maybe he's not worth the uh six and a quarter million or whatever uh he's being paid now um and that contract is really long so it also carries a pretty great deal of risk and we also know that teams probably still value josh morrissey around the league right now so if you're a risk averse person Trading Josh Morrissey is probably something that you want to look at, especially considering, well, if you don't think the Jets are going to be contending in the next year or two, might not be a bad idea to look at. Um, Go really young on the blue line. So it's something they definitely never would do. They would never do it. Of course not. (laughs) But it's... I don't know. It's, it is very concerning to me. Um, the play of Josh Morrissey. I don't want to say, uh, he's, uh, not redeemable for lack of a better term, but, um, yeah, I am concerned. It's just crazy that Forbert and Pionk ended up being this team's most reliable pairing. I mean, I never saw that coming, uh, and Forbert, I mean, that's a guy maybe we might want to touch on. I mean, he's been such a pleasant surprise. I mean, I didn't know too much about him um, outside of, A, he played with Drew Doughty, and B, I know that Drew, Drew Doughty is kind of overrated. So maybe in retrospect, we shouldn't have been this surprised that he's been a solid defender because whatever positive contributions he had to the Doughty pairing, I could see being kind of undermined. And he didn't really have a huge role in Calgary, so he sort of flew under the radar there with me. But uh, him and Pionk, while they're both very flawed defensemen, I, it's kind of crazy to me that they've been easily, in my opinion, the Jets' most reliable pair. I know we talked about how Pionk has somehow been McDavid's kryptonite, and uh, he's definitely the most aggressive D-man on this blue line, which is something I, I really like about him. He's the only one you'll really find activating in the offensive zone like crashing deep, getting all kinds of wraparound chances and stuff like that. Um, it's really a, 
a breath of fresh air on this Jets blue line. And I think if Stanley gets uh, some more looks, we can hopefully expect to see it maybe a bit more of that kind of style play out of him as well. And obviously, once again, High Nola, if he finally gets a shot this year, we should see uh, tons of offensive, offensive flashes coming from him as well. I think yeah. the jumping in the zone, we didn't really see a whole heck of a lot of last year from Pionk, but we are seeing it a bit more this year. And I think it's lending to positive results for you know, everybody he's playing with. I, I really want to see more of that out of the defensemen in general. Um, and yeah, that's something that Hanel is going to add as well, for sure. They ended up giving that Dylan DeMel goal to Ehlers uh, a few days ago. And then you have the Neil Pionk wraparound and the noted Derek Forbert snipe. So those are our defensive goals. And I, that pairing, I just think that's like a cherry on top of what a pleasant surprise this pairing has been for me personally. Like again, analytically, I don't know if they're great. And like, I, they've been our most consistent pairing, but they're by no means a top pairing on a Stanley cup team, but I've been more than happy with them as our second pairing. And I intend to keep it that way. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like we've got a real lot of second pairing defensemen. (laughs) <laughs> like second or third pairing yeah exactly it's like they're all <laughs> 2.5s like every single one of them you know um <laughs> which is, is is crazy and then well and then you throw them in this system and then they all of a sudden become not even second pairing defensemen because we're giving up like crazy amount of shots again um i don't know right before we came on um there's a video of uh, I saw it when, right before we came on of uh, Connor Hellebuck going to practice today, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and he got a he got a ride on a on a cart. <laughs> it looked like through the whole building because he needed to save his energy, and I think maybe it was more that he needed the rest more than uh, saving <laughs> energy because uh, he's just super worked and super overworked, and it gets me a lot when I see people complaining about goaltending when he has a rough game yeah. um first of all because um most goalies would have a rough game giving up the type of chances that um they do and it'd be more more often but also because the guy won a vesna trophy he's the first major award winner in you know 30 years in the city um give the guy a break uh so that's that's funny to me that on twitter people will blame him um, again, for two reasons. He, he shouldn't. Somebody's trying to get a hold of me, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, again, like we said, like he's human, right? Like he's going to make mistakes kind of thing, but um, he has played a lot. And when he is playing a lot, he's getting a lot of shots and he's probably having to deal with more than he should with the competent decor kind of thing. But we do have a solid option behind him and Laurent Brassois, I think, too, which is very comforting uh, for me personally because I just think it's nice to know that if your Vezina caliber goalie needs a break for a game, you have someone who can step in and at least not automatically lose you a game and who could definitely hold his own and be actually quite good. Um, and I also I, – we haven't – talked about tucker pullman yet I, I don't even think his name's come up and i thought that was um he's only played what one game two games since he's been back from the whole covid thing whatever but i was pleasantly surprised that he wasn't awful last game i was i was okay with that <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's too early for me to say 
kind of what we're getting out of Tucker Pullman this year. Um, again, I was pretty critical of him last year. Um, I did blame him, I guess, for a lot of the struggles between him and Josh Morrissey. Maybe I was a little bit hard on him considering now we've seen Morrissey struggle at times, you know, even for it, I think it was only two or three games he played with the mellow, but they weren't all that great. Um, you know, Morrissey just hasn't looked great in pretty much any pairing, but you know, P- Pullman has a lot of skills. I'm not sure if the hockey IQ is all there, but if you have the skills that Pullman does, it is possible to be effective as a third pairing D, um, you know, so maybe we have a real third pairing defenseman there. Maybe he's just, you know, a, a seven guy, but um yeah, there's there's nothing really wrong with how he's played so far this season, I think. That's the thing with the Jets. They have a lot of guys who don't really do a lot wrong. They just have a lot of guys who don't really do anything special. They don't do anything flashy. And so, you know, you get a lot of people who are always saying, well, who do you take out of the lineup? They have like <laughs> 10 defensemen and they're all kind of good. And it's like, yeah, but kind of good's just not going to cut it, right? So I definitely agree with everything everybody said. I don't have anything against Tucker Pullman. I think he is a fine you know, like third pairing guy, but like we were just talking about earlier, he's one in many. So, no, I, I, it makes me wonder, and we joke about it and we're really pissed off about it. We go both ways on it, but it makes me wonder why this team with a, with really a lack of defensive talent, let's be honest, um, doesn't play a more simple system um, in their own end. Maybe it is simple to a hockey player, but it doesn't look simple. They don't make it look simple. And there's always a guy open and there's a lot of glaring mistakes. I don't know why they just don't play a basic zone system and, and kind of make their lives easier. Right. Like, doesn't that like if somebody's not good at something, you dumb it down for them. Right. And obviously it's been proven that they're okay with giving up all these chances. Paul Maurice has said, so they, that they're fine. They're not giving up as much high danger shots as it looks like and this and that. So I guess that kind of answers my own question, but I don't know when, when you aren't good at something again, you dumb it down and you make it as easy as possible. And it just doesn't look that way. And you, it makes you wonder again, when you have seven number four and a half defensemen, why, why you don't try and make your life easier in your own zone. I, I, it just boggles my mind. Why? And they've never been good at defense. In 10 years, you've never been good. So why aren't you trying something different? And uh, and especially, why don't you just try something simpler? I don't know. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's one of those tales, things. It's a tale as old as time with this team, right? With so many things. It's like, why why don't you cater to the players that you have right now? Like, because you're not going to find, whatever it is, 18 guys who fit the exact mold of the system you have. You have Patrick Liney. You set up your power play so you can pass to Patrick Liney. You don't set up your power play so that it's all about the guy shooting from the point when your point guy is Josh Morrissey. Like you have to make adjustments based on the personnel that you have. And I feel like we just don't see that often enough mm-hmm. with this team, you know? It's the smartest guy in the room. It's my way or the highway. And again, that kind of makes sense, but not when it appears that you and your 
your general manager on a completely different page, then it doesn't make any sense. You know, if, if we had 11 Nate Thompson's and at forward, then it kind of makes sense to play such and such style. Right. Or if we had, um, that type of defensive talent, then you can play something more complicated, but it just doesn't seem to, it's like, you know, round peg in a square hole. I think this bread and butter should be maybe playing a bit more aggressively. I think it gives them the best shot at winning. I I do think they have the the sort of the goalie and the forwards to live in a high event world. They don't really have the maybe defense to live in a low event one because when the Jets play their, you know, they're sort of patented safe. Let's just, you know, let's try not to get scored on, you know, passive brand of hockey. It does sacrifice a lot of offense. Right. And they wind up looking bad defensively, like you said, anyway. So I mean, I would personally shoot for more offense and play to my team's strength. Uh, I mean, it'll be chaotic and they'll get burned some nights, but I do think it would over time probably help get the most out of this roster. Doesn't it say something when they seem to play their best hockey when they're losing? They look the best. They look fast. They look like they're doing what suits them the most when they're down two or three goals. And then they play what suits their style. And guess what? They're a really good team at coming back when they're losing. And to me, that's because they're not playing their shitty style of hockey. They're playing what, what suits their offensive abilities. And um, we've been saying for years, let's go for the six, five wins. Like let's do it. Especially now that you've got a goalie, like the best goalie, they might not turn into six, five uh, games, but yeah, it just, it, it, it boggles the mind why you don't, simplify things first and then take it take it up yeah i mean i feel like that kind of that kind of covers it like we really we came into this episode just knowing that you know we had to record something after last night's game just because there's so much to talk about and this this team is they we're never bored um maybe during the games we are but like when it comes to things to talk about (laughs) never boring with these guys so i feel like there's always some to talk about. I don't know if anyone has any last points they want to throw in before we kind of wrap things up. I feel pretty good. The crickets as a sign to um, (laughs) thank everyone for listening. Um, If you haven't checked out our most recent episodes, we have a couple of interviews with a couple of the guys from Sportsnet, Ken Weeb, Sean Reynolds. We have a Scott Billick interview as well. And we also have some report cards. Um, The Athletic, uh, Murat just put out an article, if you're subscribed, about his quarter season um, report cards. So uh, if you want to kind of do a comparison there, there's that episode you can listen to. I would, Brian can attest to this, but I feel like our grades kind of still stand for the most part. Um, But yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. Um, We'll hope to see you again soon with some uh, more content. Make sure if you're listening, you can check this out on YouTube as well. And if you're checking it out on YouTube, go listen to the podcast. um super thanks everybody uh chris john brian thanks for coming out today um taking time out of your evening much appreciated and we hope it was a good listen for everyone thanks guys bye i'm kurt keelback and thank you for listening to the jet centric broadcast